This, this, this is KU. KUT. KUT, Austin. Stop. This is KUT. I'm Jennifer Staten. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Versions of that saying have been attributed to different people throughout history, but you get the idea. We have a lot to learn from where we've already been. The new director of the LBJ Presidential Library in Austin believes the tumultuous year of 1968 has a lot of lessons for us today. Dr. Kyle Longley came to the LBJ Library this summer from Arizona State University. He's been a history scholar for decades, and his most recent book is LBJ's 1968, Power, Politics, and the Presidency in America's Year of Upheaval. We talked recently in the presidential suite at the LBJ Library, where the former president would host visitors and hold court. Longley says a library can help with that education, but could do a more effective job reaching out to a wider audience. We're in the private suite of the president that he had built here uh, when the library was open. So everything you see around us is original. Uh, They have not updated, and it's just an amazing place. This is where he would come to hold meals uh, after the library opened, as well as hold court in many ways. If you look throughout the room, you can see the people who visited, and these are dignitaries from throughout the world. And how is the room used today? Do people still use it for social function? Does the family come here? It's mainly used by the uh, library and the foundation for social functions, hold meals. Uh, It's also just a wonderful place with a lot of stories in in its own right that we bring uh, dignitaries, VIPs into uh, to sort of show them the sort of yesteryear. So you're a Texan and now you're back in Texas in this particular job. What is it like for you to have this job? It is a dream job. It's not one that I ever envisioned. I really didn't think about it uh, until they approached me last February and said, you know, would you be interested in applying? I've been coming here for more than 20 years. I mean, I remember it so far back. My dad was coaching in Comfort, Texas, and we would come to Austin down the 290 and pass the ranch. And so it goes a long way back. But, yeah, it is a dream job. Uh, a wonderful staff here, great volunteers. Uh, I already knew it was one of the strong sort of the crown jewels of the presidential library system because I've worked in almost every one of them. And this was always my favorite by far. What makes it a standout in the system? Easily the staff. You have one of the most accommodating, well-versed staff in the business. Virtually no turnover. I mean, I was the first person who had been hired in so long that uh, nobody knew how to do all the HR. Uh, So that's a great sign that people have come here, they stay here, especially the archivists and the museum people who need to have a long-term memory because then they can help researchers, they can help people who come and visit. I went to the opening of the Clinton Presidential Library, I guess 14 years ago now, I think, and when I toured it, what struck me was it seemed like sort of an evolution of libraries. There was much less sort of stuff and artifacts and much more video and audio. Have presidential libraries sort of evolved over time? I think they have. I mean, you have to. Uh, For example, the new generation, it's got to be much more visual and a different visual form than just a traditional, uh, you know, posters in a a, a museum area. So, you know, we had a major redesign about 10 years ago that did incorporate more visual, audiovisual, and we're always thinking about that. You know, and the library is not just about this one building. Uh, We're doing a lot online to try to help people have access to the materials that we have here at the library. 
What are your goals and visions for the library? You did mention that big renovation about 10 years ago. What do you want to do while you're here going forward? Well, I think one thing is to better integrate into the Austin community and the Central Texas community and Texas as a whole. One of the areas that I think we've been fairly deficient on is like outreach into the Latino community. And with Texas becoming almost a Latino majority here soon, we've got to do a better job of highlighting. And it's easy to do because LBJ was so intimately involved with the Latino community. Uh, Other groups uh, that we haven't done as much work with, LGBTQ, which is a reflection on Austin. There's a strong community here. So I'm trying to think, how do we outreach to our and understand our place and our time? So how do you do that? How do you outreach to communities that you would like to to serve in better ways? Well, I'll give you two examples. We're planning a number of events in February uh, of this coming year to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the Longoria Affair, where Lyndon Johnson actively involved himself in the burial of a Mexican-American who had been refused burial at his hometown of Three Rivers, uh, Texas, and had him placed in Arlington Cemetery. So we're going to do something to honor both online as well as in the library uh, relating to that. We're planning a, uh, a smaller exhibition this summer on the Stonewall. It's going to be the 50th, uh, 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots and, or the Stonewall uprising, however you want to characterize it. So we're trying to think, and you know, we're doing some things like we're planning next year Motown's coming to town. And after that, we're going to do comic books. We're a tech community. Uh, we got some plans for Star Trek in the future. Uh, because the 1960s Star Trek was definitely shaped by, or Gene Roddenberry's vision was shaped by Lyndon Johnson's. So we're trying to pull those things together. Austin has so many folks living here now who aren't from Austin and aren't from Texas. And to me, LBJ, part of him is so Texas. So it seems like you're always having to kind of re-educate even Austinites about the man and the president. Well, there's no doubt about that. Most of the, you know, we're starting to see a significant influence of people from many very places. And that's why I said focusing on things like tech. Uh, but again, but not forgetting where we're from and where we are, the Latino community, for example. Uh, but understanding that and trying to engage and the speakers that we bring through uh, are a, a fantastic group. And so, you know, my encouragement always is, one, come visit the library and the museum. Two, join the friends of the LBJ School so that you can come to many of the events. And finally, just recognize LBJ's everywhere. I say that in the beginning of my new book. He's there, Lake Ladybird, uh, Lake LBJ. I mean, everything here, the Pernalis Electric Company out in uh, southwest Austin, it's all related to LBJ. You've been researching and studying him for decades. What first drew you to want to study and research LBJ? Well, I think uh, my doctoral mentor was the sort of the dean of the Vietnam War studies. And so I think I always was drawn to that. I wrote a biography of Senator Albert Sr., who his life parallels LBJ's in so many shape and, and form. Uh, you know, Vice President Gore's father, uh, who was a prominent senator himself. So I think it, I've always been drawn to that. And the 60s, I mean, let's just be realistic. The 60s are going to remain a fundamental part of our historical consciousness uh, for many more years. I mean, it's sort of the Civil War equivalent. Uh, but there are not many decades that defined America the way the 1960s, and LBJ is central to that. So you said you're sort of entree into really getting to know and wanting to study LBJ more was Vietnam and your doctoral dissertation mentor. That's a loaded way to get to know him. 
but I think it's a, such an important part. And this is what distinguishes the LBJ Library in many ways from other presidential libraries. LBJ insisted that you show the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Vietnam is a central figure here in the uh, LBJ Library. A lot of others try to avoid some of the more controversial issues. He insisted it remains front and center. But it is it's loaded. I mean, this is something we're still debating many, many years ago. As someone that's written extensively on the experiences of combat soldiers in Vietnam, uh, I deal with this on a daily basis because each soldier that I've ever interviewed uh, always has a different opinion. There's not a uniform view, and that's important to keep in mind. Uh, this is still being discussed, debated, and I think that's important. How has that debate about President Johnson in Vietnam changed over time? It really hasn't changed to that much uh, of a degree. I mean, I uh, recently wrote this book on LBJ in 1968. And, you know, we're looking at LBJ by this point in 1968, having to question everything that had been basic principles. And ultimately reaching the decision on March 31st that he's not going to seek re-election and to focus on trying to get us out of Vietnam. But the general historiography has not changed a great deal. Now, we've expanded our knowledge base to include that of the Vietnamese, the Chinese, the Russians, many of the other groups that were involved, the South Vietnamese. And I think that part has expanded, and it has shown that both sides, neither side understood the other very well. And so that has been a good thing. But as far as the general overall view of the war, Johnson's responsibility and role in it, I don't think it's altered a great deal. How would you describe his role? I think my favorite is his sort of analogy. I felt like a big old catfish looking at a, uh, a worm on a hook and knowing the hook was there but couldn't resist and couldn't, didn't really have uh, you know, many options uh, that would have been acceptable to the general public at the time. Now, many would argue if he had been a better leader, he could have led the public on these matters, but it was a very hard to break that Cold War consensus that it existed, especially since Korea. And so I think the general overall view is, you know, he, in many ways he's a tragic figure, uh, but a lot of it's of his own making too, and that of the people around him. So you mentioned your interest in writing about him is very much of his time, also the 60s. It feels like in some ways our times now are as in flux, as uh, divided. Is that going too far? I think it's going a little too far. And the reason I say that is the 68, just look at 68. Look at the riots in the streets after Martin Luther King's death. Look at the Chicago Convention and the fighting in the streets. Knock on wood, we haven't reached that point yet. Are we divided? Definitely. Are many of the issues, I would argue, uh, for example, many of the issues today relate directly to the great society and LBJ, Medicare, the environment, civil rights. We're still debating these issues, and they're still divisive in many ways. But we haven't reached that breaking point that, you know, President Johnson called 68 a year of a continuous nightmare. And it was one thing after another. Assassinations, riots, clashes, people just, uh, the disunity uh, that was very much on uh, display. Knock on wood that we don't reach that point again. It seems like some of the disunity that we're experiencing now is about the presidency itself rather than than some of the issues of the country. And obviously those are interrelated. I'm just curious for your thoughts about the Trump administration, especially in regards to just the office of the presidency itself and what you think his administration may be doing in that regard as far as just citizens and how they, they hold the esteem of the office. 
Well, I think Lyndon Johnson uh, would argue that this is a, a sad state of affairs. And that's what I'm going to stay focused on. This is not my personal opinion. I think he would look at this as a sad. He believed in protocol. He believed in tradition. And he loved the office of the presidency uh, and sought to uphold it. Now, did he always live up to those standards? Absolutely not. Uh, using the FBI to spy on anti-war groups. I, I could go into a litany of uh, issues. But he would be very, very disappointed. But, you know, what really comes out of this is I think that Richard Nixon really did irreparable harm. And the office of the presidency hasn't been held in the same esteem since then. And what we're seeing today is just a breakdown of tradition, a breakdown of protocol, uh, and some would argue a diminishing of the office. And that's a great debate that's still ongoing. As someone who now is in charge of a presidential library, do those thoughts enter your head as far as are people still going to be interested in coming? Do you feel like when we're in times like this, it spills over into sort of interest or desire to engage with presidents throughout history? I would hope so. I mean, I'm biased, of course. I I want people to come through the door. But, I mean, that's one of the things that we just made a – we had a recent uh, presentation. We made the point. You know, looking – come to the library. Just see alone all the legislation that was passed. And it reaffirms that there is hope that Americans can come together to address many of the hardest issues of the time, civil rights, health care. And this was oftentimes done in a bipartisan basis. Lyndon Johnson worked as much with Everett Dirksen, the Republican minority leader, as he did many times with his members of his own party. So, you know, you hope. And again, just the issues that are being debated. Medicare. Uh, what's the centrality of health care and the government's role? Environment. Uh, civil rights. Foreign policy. These aren't going away. And if anything, we should use our historical record to better understand where we are in 2018. You mentioned... Uh, believing that President Nixon did irreparable damage to the office of the presidency. Certainly Bill Clinton's presidency was very tumultuous. We're in another somewhat tumultuous presidency. Do you think it's good that the office has sort of ebb and flow times? I mean, do you think that's healthy for a democracy to sort of cycle through like that? Or do you think it, it puts us off kilter a little? I'm going to say I don't like that it puts us off kilter to the degree that it's occurred. Uh, I think the partisanship, I think the nastiness that is uh, uh, revolving, not just in the presidency, but Congress, the courts, society as a whole, that has not been good for us. I think we all should realize we're in this together and try to work towards some common goals that we can acknowledge. Uh, And this is, I'm speaking from personal opinion more than from anything. But I think that consistency, that protocol, that tradition is extremely important to keep us together and to keep us, you know, know what the standard norms are and stop going so far beyond them to, you know, where we're teetering on the brink of, unfortunately, I've studied Latin America extensively and teetering on the brink of what I see dictators do rather than what people who have believed in uh, died for democracy uh, do. So your book about 1968 and LBJ, are there lessons from that time that we should be heeding now 50 years later? I think there are. I, I think, you know, one, looking at some of the bipartisanship that occurred, uh, looking at addressing many of the challenges of the times. 68 is different from 65, of course. 65 was a very different time. Uh, but 68, we are divided. Vietnam has torn us apart. 
civil rights, uh, you know, the, you know the, the crisis of expectation related to uh, civil rights in 64, 65, and those not being lived, issues of police brutality that are, you know, prompting the riot, riots and wants and across the country in six, the summer of 67 and assassinations of King. These are all important things to keep in mind and keep it. But what I think it does, maybe I'm the, always uh, characterized as a hopeful optimist. And what it makes the point to me is we've gone through some very hard times in our history. And we've come out of those and survived and moved forward. And I hope that's what this signals is we will move forward. Is there a spot or two in the LBJ Presidential Library that really speaks to you or stands out to you in a particular way? So many. I'm going to pick a couple. I mean, I just like, say, uh, the, the things on the uh, Vietnam War. I also like the wall that lists his uh, accomplishments. Just to remind us, he passed over 400 what many would consider significant legislative uh, uh, pieces of legislation. But I think the thing that I've enjoyed most in the last five weeks is going through the uh, special exhibit right now called Get in the Game. And it is fantastic about the struggle for equality in sports related to people of color, uh, women, and it's just a remarkable exhibit done by our museum staff uh, that really calls uh, a lot of our uh, issues into play. But it also highlights some of the strengths uh, of our society and the evolution of our society to a better day, uh, but we still have a lot to accomplish. We're about to start another NFL season, and that's the issue of the national anthem and players protesting is still very much a national discussion. Right. And, of course, Colin Kaepernick is right at the end, along with, uh, uh, you know, the people who sort of advised him, including a former University of Texas football player uh, and special forces member uh, who was a primary advisor on the matter, uh, who was white. And so, you know, we see these things still playing out today. And that's why a museum, a, a, a library, these aren't history, uh, in, only history. They're living histories. And the issues don't change, you know. Uh, what is it? The uh, history is basically a different song, uh, or, or a same song, different verse. And I think that's important for people to keep in mind. But knowing your history, that's the thing I think I'm saddest about today is the lack of historical knowledge. And our library and our museum help address that in many ways. Why do you think we're at a point where we are lacking in that kind of historical knowledge? I think there's many explanations. As a, 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 you know, like I say, I taught for 23 years, actually 25 years if you count all my years. And the lack of historical knowledge is being created by one, people deciding, well, that history doesn't matter. Uh, history is much more complex than it was 50 years ago. Uh, 50 years ago, it was about studying the president. It was about studying uh, the great, uh, you know, the terminology of white men. We've gotten to a different point in our history where we're studying multiple histories, which I think is actually infinitely better uh, than having a very sanitized uh, structure. That's why we're debating Confederate monuments today that we didn't 50 years ago. It's because people have started calling into question whose history is it, what type of history do we study? And personally, those debates are good, but the problem is it's led to a lot of people shutting down and saying, well, I'm only going to get my history from 
this person, or I'm going to get the history this way, or I'm just not going to learn history, period, because we know they're all just a bunch of pinko liberals teaching at the universities or whatever it may be. And I think that's a sad thing. And that combined with the social media, which, you know, the attention span of uh, younger people, including my sons, is much lower than it was for myself and definitely much lower for my parents. And that's contributed to this lack of historical knowledge, a lack of wanting to learn. Uh, and there are many other. I could go into a dissertation on the matter. But I think those are some contributing factors. But history repeats itself, right? Uh, it does. Uh, those who uh, are, don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that's, a, you know, and I always liked uh, Kierkegaard's uh, characterization. Life is live, uh, f- uh, lived in today and in forward, but can only be understood backwards. Kyle Longley is the new director of the LBJ Presidential Library in Austin. You can find a link to more information about the library and keep up with the news at KUT.org. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News.